evening, uh, July 9th, 2020. Let's take it to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for how you watch over us and guide our lives and direct our paths. Father, thank you for your goodness and how you lead us in the paths of righteousness. Thank you for your word. As we get into your word, God, um, may we see that your word is what gives us power and strength and uh, gives us comfort in the days ahead and uh, equips us for every deed that you would have before us. God, I thank you for the many people who have clicked on to see what we're, what I am saying and sharing. And I pray that folks will think about and see what it is that I am saying, that it's not Phil Pippinger, but it's your word that people can go back to as the word of authority for his or her life. Uh, it's not my opinion. It's not my interpretation, but it's the scriptures that, that are the authority for each life. God, thank you for this privilege. Thank you for Christ who paid for what we owe you at the cross. And thank you for his resurrection that we have hope beyond the grave. God, thank you for this time that we have. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I, was, I thought a lot about, as I was going to share from chapter 5 um, this evening in Genesis, I just wanted you to think about something that um, people say these are, these are really odd times and strange times that we live in. And it is unbelievable, and it's, very, it's, it's been unpredictable. I mean, as... Uh, as as an adult, I can't say that I've experienced or seen anything like this or that I can remember. Although I do want to say this, when I was a little boy, uh, I read about this, not, not as a little boy, but this happened between sometime in uh, May, uh, June of 1968, and this period of time, it, it went on into 1970, we were under a global pandemic. There was a certain flu that was spreading around the world and nations and, and health departments around the world reported an increase in this particular uh, flu that was going worldwide. And I want you to think about something. If you've done any study in contemporary history, um, in 1968, uh, probably the most violent year. Uh, there were protests. There were there were there was civil unrest, racial tension. There was uh, protests of the Vietnam War that were going on. College campuses were just in chaos and turmoil. Um, we had a lot of these things going on. I remember seeing something about. Uh, there were some cities that they were just caught on fire. They were just, they just, they were just in flames. Uh, just a lot of violence. Um, as a matter of fact, this is what's interesting. I've heard 1967 was quoted as the summer of love. 1968 had to be the summer of violence and rage. Uh, it was. It's just an interesting what a year would make if you've studied this and seen anything about this. And uh, throw that in with the with the the civil or the civil unrest, 
and and you had uh, feminism on the rise that was going on, and you had this global pandemic that was going on around the world, and then throw that in with this swirling storm that was taking place, you had the Jesus People Movement that was taking place in America. And I can remember, um, and I've probably shared this with you, but again, I want you to emphasize, I want to emphasize this and make you think about this. I was, I grew up, I was not in a local active, uh, we were not local active members in a church as a family. And uh, I remember mom and dad, we'd occasionally go to a church maybe once a month. And, and, and that was it. That was the extent of it. But I remember at this particular time, late 60s, early 70s, as a small child, I could remember if, there was a, if we were watching a ball game or something, my dad, we loved watching football, basketball, baseball. There was a ball game on, and then if Billy Graham was doing one of his stadium revivals, my father would change the channel, and we would watch Billy Graham. Billy Graham, <laughs> that was our church at that time. And the Lord really sparked my father because I remember one Sunday morning waking up, and he said, hey, get up. We're going to church. And this was like 1972. I was, I was uh, seven years old at this particular time, seven, almost eight at that time. And, and I just thought, wow, we're going to church. We are going to church. And, and it was awesome. It was incredible. And so I say all that to say this without rambling, is that we go through these, these phases and stages that are happening Church is different, obviously, um, with COVID-19. Uh, I get together with a group of guys, and, and we talk by internet, and we pray. We pray for each other. And one of the things that's been a pressing thing has been the, the idea of revival, being stirred in people's hearts. Um, that's something that we've talked a lot about and prayed about. Um, and so... Um, you know, I just want to encourage you as you're there that I'm no different. I'm thinking about things and, and uh, I, uh, I'm praying about things, about how God can use me in our, in our community and uh, how that's going to be different. You know, I have always worked with, with middle school and high school students. I've either been, a, I've either been an educator, uh, a former health and PE teacher and basketball coach to now um, doing a lot of evangelism and equipping uh, with students on, on the campus. So, um, and that's going to look different in a couple of ways, just because of, of what has happened uh, with the, uh, with the pandemic. And number two, I have to admit as much as I love middle school and high school students, I am getting older. I am. My body and mind still say that I'm 17, or my, my mind does, but my body doesn't. I'm getting older. Uh, students look at me different now. I'm sure they say, hey, who's that, 
who's that grandfather walking down the hallway in, in our school? I, I understand that. But I have a great heart for our students. I want to see them know Christ and, and, and just see him magnified in their life. That's my heart. That's my heart. You've heard me for about the last six or seven minutes. Let's get into God's word. So, so let's look at Genesis chapter five. And I'm going to just kind of overview some of this. Um, we've talked about Cain and Abel. We talked about what happened to Adam and Eve. Uh, they had the two sons. They had other sons and daughters that, that, were, that multiplied and spread on the face of the earth. Um, and then at the end of chapter four, Adam and Eve, they had relations again, and they had a son, Seth. And he is, not, he is the appointed one, um, the substitute or the appointed one, uh, if you will. And so he has taken step into the place of Abel. Um, and so uh, I think it's interesting how Abel or, or Adam, he had records of Cain's family and how we have that right here of those generations, seven generations listed from Cain to Lamech. And Lamech, very notorious figure, he, he has a heart that's full of depravity, a heart that's full of rage and violence. He defies God by breaking from what God had said about a monogamous relationship, a husband and wife, one man, one woman, uh, uh, make a marriage or, or consummate a marriage, if you will. And Lamech had two wives. And then he goes on a big poetic boast saying that, hey, I, I killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. I killed them. I mean, he has a heart of rage and violence. And then he, had, he wants to use God's license of, of grace and, and how God shows his mercy to him. He, he thinks he gets very, um, if you will, a, the word is license or licentiousness to do this. And he says, he says at the end of his poem, he says, hey, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, Lamech will be avenged 77-fold. In other words, it's just like an infinite or an, uh, just an unlimited number. I will be forgiven for this. I'll be avenged. People will if anybody tries to take my life, God's going to take them. And that is scary thinking right there to think you can just live by your own terms. Let me tell you something. This is what I've seen with people. A lot of this has to do with freedom and, and people think that they just want unlimited freedom. Well, freedom has responsibilities with it. Freedom has boundaries with it. If there is no boundary, if there's no responsibility, then freedom is lawlessness. And that's what we can't have. And so that's what we see starting to happen with the generations from Cain as they keep going down to Lamech. And the thing about, I'm just reviewing here of what we're getting into with chapter five, but Cain's ancestors they had tremendous skills. I mean, obviously that you had a welder, 
Uh, Tubal Cain, he was a forger of iron implements and bronze. Uh, you had uh, you had uh, Jabel and Jubal, who were who uh, developed instruments, and you had and and of, of musical instruments, I should say. And then you have you have uh, uh, Jubal, who is a, a shepherd, and he's raising sheep. They might have been meat eaters. I don't know. God did not ordain the consumption of meat until after the flood. But that may have been what they were doing. They were just they were just shaking their fist at, the, at God in rebellion, and they were just going to eat meat, even though God did not ordain this at this particular time. But they're build, there's the building of a city that we see taking place. There's no longer this kind of living off the land and agriculture. Now people are kind of coming together and living in cities. Uh, they like urban dwellings, if you will. Uh, we start to see that take place. It's, it's incredible technology. These men had talents. They had skills. They had a lot of abilities. The thing is, they're doing it all without God. They refused to recognize God. They may have known him. They may have known who he was but they refused to acknowledge who he was. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. And that's what we see a lack of in Cain's civilization. I'll call it the Cainite civilization. But we see with, with Adam and Eve, they have a son, Seth, and Seth has a son, Enosh. And at the end of chapter four, verse 26, there's the, the phrase, the sentence says, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, now we see men starting to actively call out to their creator. They are actively acknowledging his, his praise to him. They are seeking out fellowship with him. That's a great thing. That is an awesome thing that we see happening here. And it flows right into these 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And we're going to camp out here and talk about some of these men um, over the next uh, couple of lessons that I'm going to talk through. And in verse one of chapter five, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man, named them man in the day when they were created. Notice what, what Moses, who's writing this, he made him in the likeness of God. We've been made in his image. We've been made in his likeness. Verse three, when Adam had lived 130 years, could you imagine? Now, we don't have a timeline. We don't know how old Adam was when Cain and Abel were born. We don't know the, we don't know if Cain and Abel were necessarily twins or not. We don't, we're not sure. Uh, but but we can see that I think I'm pretty sure that Adam and Eve were quite a bit younger during that during those days when they gave birth to Cain and Abel. But Adam was 
130 years old, and he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. I think that's real key right here. According to his own likeness and according to his own image. Genesis 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. I still have some of that in me, God's image, because life is sacred to the Lord. Um, all life is sacred to the Lord. Um you see a lot of evangelicals that have a very uh, strong regard for being pro-life when it comes to to children, and the uh, you know that that life begins at conception. The sperm and the egg meet. You have life, the heartbeat, everything like that. There's something about that. I'm going to tell you. Um, uh, Amy and I have had five of our own children. And it's amazing. I met my children before they were born when I saw them in the ultrasound. And from our oldest, Abigail, to our youngest, number five, Luke, it's amazing the technology and how it improved, <laughs> you know, when I would see them. But I met them before they were born. I think that's incredible. That's kind of a taste of how God, you know, I thought about, you know, how he knew me when I was in my mother's womb. You know, I think about that, how, how, the, uh, how that's the, the, the writer writes that in scripture. I think about that and I see that right here being played out. Now, but because of what we see here in Genesis 5 here, it says, again, let me emphasize, Adam, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image. It's because of sin. It's because of sin. Yeah. He was born in sin. Seth, as beautiful as that little boy was, and I'm sure that Adam and Eve were just ecstatic that God would provide them with another son, the appointed one. Guess what? He came into this world as cute, as cuddly as he, as he was. He was born in sin. Yes, I mean, I came into this world. I was born in sin. I have a grandson now. He will be 10 months old real soon. It's crazy. In, on September 19th, he's going to be one year old. And as, as ecstatic as me and Amy are about him, guess what? He came into this world born in sin. It's, it's just the acknowledgement of recognizing who we are. That's the first step is recognizing that we have a, we've come in this world born in sin. We have a sinful nature. It's all over us. Yeah, we have to acknowledge that. And we see that right here. And Adam, I know he taught his sons and he 
And, 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 you know, I know that everybody thinks about how Adam, he ate the fruit and he just, it infected the rest of the human population from going forward from this day forth, anyone born, they're born in sin. But let me tell you something, Adam, he passed that down to his sons. Hey, when you come into the presence of the Lord, it's gotta be a blood sacrifice. You have to acknowledge, we have to acknowledge that he is the creator. He's the one who is sovereign over everything. He's the one who, who put us on this planet, and he's the one who gave, gave us and gives us life and sustains us. Let's acknowledge him for who he is. And when I, and Adam, this is, I'm talking like Adam here, paraphrasing, when, I, when Adam said, I saw, and I'm sure he told his sons, hey, and I saw how he provided a sacrifice for me, and I knew those fig leaves were not going to be enough to cover my sins, which is why we wear clothes to this day. And he provided garments. He made garments of skin. An animal was executed. A lamb, I believe it was a lamb. That's just me. But an, but let's say an animal, blood was slain. And that's how it was. That's how uh, Adam, I think that really impacted him. And he, he passed that down to these generations and it kept going and it passed down, even down to Noah. And these men came after the Lord. There's a unique heritage about these men. Um, I repeat a lot of things, so please bear with me. But I think it's real interesting how when we see this and we look at this, these generations of of, of uh, Adam and how he kept these generations. Um, this written record that he that he had here and and how he he provided for this and how this is provided for even and passed down to Noah. And Noah kept a, a log and and a um, uh, he kept the generations. And of who was who and how things were passed down and the, and the sons and, and the grandsons and so forth. And Moses had access to all this. It's just incredible. This was really important for people to keep up with where they came from. That's the problem today. People don't know where they came from. There's, there's a missing identity problem in America today and around the world. People don't know who they are and where they came from. We need to know that. We need to have some understanding of that when we look at this. So when we look at this and we, we see in, in, in Genesis 5 what's been passed down and how these things are talked about, we see that men are actively, number one, we see that men are actively calling upon the name of the Lord. They're seeking the Lord. There's public worship going on now, and they're not ashamed of it. Um. We see that we see that there's a family ancestry, and it's being passed down, um, and and they're and and they're teaching about their Creator, and they're looking to Him. And you know what? They know in the Old Testament, they know that there is a coming Redeemer who is coming. There is a Messiah; He is coming, and that this idea of of just of just the blood of of animals is only a covering for sin. They know that there is, a, there is a Christ who is coming and he is going to pay the full payment 
or sin. And so I think it's, it's really cool when we see this and we look at these men and we see what's going on with them. I encourage you to read chapter five because you see, you see the length of the men's lives. You see how long they live. I mean, when we look at this, let's, as, as I read on here in, in chapter four, it says, then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. And we see that about all these patriarchs right in here. They had other sons and, daughter and they, daughters, and they multiplied on the face of the land. It was okay for brother and sister to be married at this time. At this time, it was okay for this to, to be, uh, uh, to happen. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with this. As a matter of fact, um, you know, they, they obviously the people will say, Hey, where was, who is Cain's wife? Well, probably was a sister, you know, or somebody closely related to him. There's nothing wrong with, with, with the human body at this particular time, sin is the, you know, it's been a slow uh, decay as far as sin goes. As a matter of fact, we read on here and Noah lived, or I'm sorry, Adam, Adam lived 930 years, but when he breathed his last, he died. He died, lived 930 years. Now, you're probably thinking, how in the world was the was the earth? What was it like? They say there was like a, a canopy that was over the earth that surrounded it. And so from the north to the extreme north, the extreme south, the extreme east and west, there was no change as far as the temperature. The earth, according to some of the uh, the um creationists and creation in creation scientists, uh, they'll say that the earth was somewhere between 75 and 85 degrees, very comfortable weather. And so I'm going to save this for when we talk about the flood and what happens here, but as far as what happened after this, but at this particular time, the earth has kind of got this, it's encapsulated kind of with this kind of a vapor, um, a kind of an ice vapor on the outside in the upper atmosphere. And then it's then our ice and then vapor kind of like a greenhouse effect. Okay. That's going on on the earth. It's just kind of a, uh, it doesn't get real hot, doesn't get real cold. So it's very comfortable. And so, you know, um, plants live for a longer amount of time. People live for a longer amount of time. I mean, it's still, even though they're not in the Garden of Eden and it's not perfect, it's still quite conducive to good living. Okay, so that'll give you an idea of why um, Adam lived as long as he did and the other patriarchs at this particular time that lived before the flood. They lived uh, because everything was pretty well conducive to what was happening here uh, on the earth. Um Next time that I meet with you, I'm going to get into, we're going to talk about a couple of men here uh, besides Noah, because the end of chapter five, we go into Noah and the flood and the preparation of the ark. And uh, he's pretty much the main uh, figure from the end of chapter five leading up to 
um, uh, Babel, uh, the, the Tower of Babel, and then into Abraham, who and his family pretty much takes the rest of Genesis and everything. But but uh, we'll, we're some, there's some men here like Enoch. I find that interesting. I mean, there's very little said about Enoch, but there's a lot of, I don't want to say mystery, but it's like, hey, what happened to him? Uh, as you look at this, it talks about his life and how he lived, uh, what was going on around him. And uh, we're going to talk about that some more in our next lesson. So, hey, as my T-shirt says, Happy Reformation Day, October 31st, Happy Reformation Day. We got that to look forward to. But at any rate, we're going to get into the next lesson of uh, real soon. So anyway, God bless you. And let me leave you with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the privilege we have to get into your word. Thank you for how you guide our lives and direct our paths as we look at uh, Adam and his family and his ancestors, how these men loved you and came after you and how their families, how they, they, they had reverence for their creator. God, thank you for this time that we have. We lift up the name of Jesus because everything points to Christ. Everything leading up to Christ is a copy and a shadow of Christ. God, thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God bless you, and I'll talk to you real soon.